There'll be spectacle, there'll be fantasy, there'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. Hey, a movie. Yeah, we're gonna be a movie. Starring everybody and me. There'll be heroes bold, there'll be comedy, and a lot of fuss that ends for us real happily. And we are going to start right here. Hello and welcome to Triple Feature, a rad religion broadcasting premier podcast brought to you by the good people at W2M. No longer an American whammy that lasted all of five count them five minutes uh <laughs> joining me tonight he's currently on mute he's sean you're not how do you do sir proud to have been doing this for a hot dog and a handshake since 2012 by that he means he jerks me off but that's besides the point um <laughs> i like i like i said proud of it <laughs> Bravo. I use my applause thing, but every time I do that and then I cut it for TikTok, I get I get uh, kicked off of TikTok. I, it triggers hey, some sort know, of copyright You thing. know what? Do something that you love and you'll never work a day in your life. You're goddamn right, pal. Hey! <laughs> <we're>, <laughs> on the marquee tonight are three of my favorite things. Porn-adjacent movies. Yes, sir, Bob. We're talking X, the uh, slasher movie that's takes place on a porn shoot. We are talking Red Rocket, the story of an ex-porn star who comes back home to make good in his hometown. And Boogie Nights, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, the 1997, I believe, classic starring Mark Wahlberg, uh, about the rise of the porn industry. So okay, now this is, I, I, I haven't Googled this because yes. my mind has been going about 100 different directions all day. Paul Thomas Anderson, is that the Magnolia guy? Uh, you would ask me a question like that, you dirty dog, you. Paul Thomas Anderson. Because I, I know Paul W.S. Anderson is the one who should never be let near a video game movie again. Yes, he's, the, he, he's, okay, so Paul Thomas Anderson is There Will Be Blood, The Master, Inherent Vice. Oh, uh, okay. I, I completely had the wrong Paul Anderson. Okay, so again. yes. Heart 8, Boogie Nights, Magnolia. So you got that oh, one right. Okay. I did have Love. the right one. Yes, you did. Uh, there will be blood, the master inherent vice, phantom thread, and uh, Oscar nominee licorice pizza. He makes some quirky ass movies. This one, he's made one movie I liked. I loved There Will Be Blood. Yeah, most people do. Most people who are into movies and are adults and you know sit down and watch these things. Definitely are uh, are into um, are into that movie. I, I like. I tend to like his stuff though. He he's one of these. I like him because he's one of these directors who doesn't particularly seems to at least not particularly care about making stuff that's for wide appeal. He just kind of makes his movie. And if you show up great and if you don't, you don't, but movies are so good. They do end up attracting a fairly wide audience, at least most of the time. I don't know how well licorice pizza did. <laughs> and I think boy, I, is that I a think black first, picture? I think I first became aware of him because once upon a time he was beefing with Kevin Smith. What a nerdy fight that is! <clears throat> All right, uh, we'll come, yeah, we'll we'll come back. Kevin, to Kevin, Kevin has had some. Kevin has had some weird, weird feuds. Kevin doesn't know when to shut the fuck up. Is the problem with Kevin Smith? Uh, more often than not, 
I mean, you know, hey, so why, why can't we uh, make a populist choice and make Spider-Man No Way Home a Best Picture nominee? Anyway, um, I'll, we'll be here for two hours if we get on that tangent. So let's talk about X. All right. Yeah. Um, so I, I came to you, Sean, and, and we don't have to do mm -hmm. a tremendous amount of table setting here because I don't think I don't think an hour long discussion of your favorite porn is probably uh, appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me how you got to porn, Sean. No. Um, <laughs> Not what we're here to do, but uh, I, I was I, I was I was a teenager and I started getting bored with Baywatch. And, <laughs> this was and I just, for you. There and, I was and, punching and, myself and, in the dick. Nothing was happening. <laughs> and I and I discovered Scrambled Showtime and HBO. <laughs> yes, oh, good old Scrambled Cinemax. Um, look, we're men. We 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 enjoy some pornography, and. When I heard that A24, and, and I have to talk about this, A24 is probably like my new favorite independent studio. They're the people that were responsible for Lamb and Zola, and they come up with all kinds of weird stuff. And they're like running these out now at a fairly rapid pace. Like you don't go a month or so without getting another A24 picture. And I'm really enjoying them. Like it, it, it sort of reignited my little like indie picture snob in me. Um, and so when I heard that, 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 that's kind of the miraculous thing, though, mm -hmm. is the fact that. Yes, they're an indie studio. Yes, they're really cranking these movies out. But miraculously, they're not pretentious. And actually, yeah, like you said, most of their output is just objectively really fucking good. Yeah, a lot of it's good. Some of it's not great, but I don't... I'm not going to hold that against the studio. Sometimes you take a swing at that and you miss the ball. You know, even at the, the height of your professional ability, not every mm -hmm. not everything is a ten or a one. There's there's lots of fives. And the thing I like about A24 is, you know, Robert and I have been chronicling the demise of the film industry, but when we do so, we're always with with the tacit acknowledgement that it's not that you can't find films for an adult audience. And I don't mean again porno, even though that's what we're talking about. I do mean, in fact, that you know he laments the fall of the. Uh, of the uh, wide release picture that uh, isn't a part of a larger IP, you know, the middle ground picture, you know, when you and I grew up, the, you're my yeah. wife's age, not really mine. We used to be able to go to the theater and there was your big event pictures. There was your indies. And then there was this wide array of stuff in the middle, just stuff. Mm. Hollywood was cranking out, a Danny DeVito film, you know, mm. a, a $10 million picture, no big deal, but everyone enjoyed it. It made it, you know, it made its money. It kept the wheels in Hollywood churning. A lot of that mm. stuff now goes to streaming services directly. Like they're still making them, but the, they're mm. not going to theaters anymore. Um, or if they go, it's very limited release, and then they're out, and then they're they're on a streaming service. So, so what, so what you're saying? Too. So so what you're saying is Robert is kind of is kind of mourning the loss of the cinematic middle class. Correct. Is what you're saying here. Yes. Okay. Perfect. That that's actually a really good way of putting okay. this. And so where where a twenty four kind of steps into the breach is. It's giving people it, the in-theater experience of watching weirdo pictures. There, there mm. used to be a time where you could just walk into the theater and be like, I'm going to go see, you know, this thing right here. I don't know what this is, but it's a cool poster. And, and you go and you see a movie and you're like, okay, wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen. Wasn't the best thing. It's solidly middle ground weirdo picture. Um, and the, the so movie that's, that's just kind of the movie that's just kind of made destined to cultivate a cult following. Yeah, kind of. You know, it's there used to be a time where you could go to a theater and see Lost Highway. Lost Highway doesn't go to theaters mm. anymore. 
you know, you know, or Donnie Darko, which you and I talked about, yeah. you know, or Spun or Run Lola Run. Um, those kind of things. Oh, just Run like, Lola Run, yeah. Yeah. Um, so the point is getting getting to X. So it's like I love the idea that they're not afraid to kind of play with weirdo conventions. Like, what if we do a slasher movie that's kind of an ode to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but it's a porn shoot? <laughs> and, and there's But like, I think that's I think that's kind of the beauty of yeah. independent and low budget horror, horror mm-hmm. as it's usually called, is when it comes to a horror, big marquee horror from big studios. Mm-hmm. The studios look to absolutely maximize the spectacle. Yeah. Make everything as much of a spectacular sensory experience. Yes, all the organs must fly at you on screen. Yes, so you get you get big you get big budgets, lots of gore, elaborate elaborate effects. But the only caveat to that is studios will kind of tend to only put those resources behind movies that they feel are a safe bet. So right. they really are not looking to gamble especially when it comes to horror on anything right that's especially or that's especially original or yeah, they're not taking it's a what, flyer on something like x yeah. like you walk into a pitch meeting and you've got this script right man, it's a solid script for a slasher and you're and the, it's like right. okay well where's where it well it's a note to the texas chainsaw massacre oh okay, okay so it takes place in like an abandoned farmhouse yeah and we've got some youngish people mm-hmm. and they're running from you know a very real very tangible very human monster that's trying to kill right exactly and then and then they go okay well what's the hook on this what is what makes this different from anything else it's a porn shoot out of the office out you go right and but that's but this is the nice thing about throughout horror history about b horror and independent horror um Mm -hmm. i know i know it feels weird to think of saw as b or low budget horror but Mm -hmm. But that started out as just a kind of a novel short film by James, written by and conceived by James Wan and Lee and Lee Whannell. Mm-hmm. And that's why in the first movie, it's not as gory as a lot of people mistakenly remember is because mm-hmm. they weren't given a whole lot to work with. It was just kind of that was their proof of concept. Uh, or or Nightmare on Elm Street. That's an even weirder one to think of as mm-hmm. an indie horror. But back when that came out, New Line was a New York storefront mm-hmm. that that specialized in like in like uh, touring screenings of like Reefer Madness. I think was one of was one of their big early releases, and so. No, the first Nightmare on Elm Street, as opposed to the remake, you didn't have CGI Freddy pressing his way through the wall over Heather Langenkamp's head. <laughs> it was a big-ass sheet of spandex. Right. Um, things, like, things like that. And that's where you start to see not just filmmaking craft, but just general concepts movies Mm -hmm. that generally even in horror that will typically have something to say that'll have some thought put into them rather than if i do this this will push tickets 
It's Mm -hmm. this is the movie that I want to make in many cases because the filmmaker is thinking this is the kind of movie that I would want to go see. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about X here. X is a 2022 American slasher film written, directed and produced and edited by Ty West. Who is Ty West? Uh, Ty West is an American film director, producer, screenwriter, editor, cinematographer, and occasional actor, best known for his work in horror films. He directed the horror films The Roost from 2005, House of the Devil 2009, The Innkeepers 2011, The Sacrament 2013, and now X, and the Western in a Valley of Violence in 2016. He's also acted in a number of films, mostly in those directed by either himself or Joe Swanberg. He made House of the Devil? Certainly did, Ollie. I I have seen that. I rather liked House of the Devil. <laughs> um, it stars Mia Goth, Jenny Ortega, Jenny or Jenna Ortega rather. <laughs> Jenna Ortega, you may know from Jane the Virgin. It's not a show that I watch, but because I watch a lot of CW um, DC shows, uh, that, that those commercials always show up, and it always looked like a kind, of, a kind of fun show, just not something I needed to watch. Uh, she's known for her activism in the LGBT LGBT rights and against uh, discrimination. Um, aside from acting, uh, Ortega has been noted for her philanthropy and her, her public image. She was listed first on Pop Sugar's 20 Under 20 in 2020. And in 2022, she was dubbed the next big thing by the Hollywood Reporter and established as a scream queen. We have a scream queen here, sir. She was actually in Scream 2022, by the way. Uh, she was in Studio 666, which we'll be reviewing at some point. The Babysitter Killer Queen, Yes Day. Uh, you, she was in You, as a matter of fact. God, I barely remember her in that. I just reviewed the thing. So anyway, so that's her. That's the most probably the most famous actress in this thing. Um, then we have Martin Henderson, Brittany Snow, Owen Campbell, Stephen Yer, and Kid Cudi, otherwise known as Scott and Scuddy. The film plot follows a cast and crew who gather to make a pornographic film like you do on an elderly couple's rural Texas property, but find themselves threatened by a killer. Dun, dun, dun. All right. So here's how this goes. In 1979, aspiring pornographic actress Maxine Minx <laughs> embarks on a road trip through Texas with her producer boyfriend, Wayne, fellow actors Bobby Lynn and Jackson Hole, uh-huh. director RJ and RJ's girlfriend Lorraine, to shoot an adult film for the booming theatrical pornography market. Bobby Lynn and Jackson strike up a romance. Woo-hoo! While Lorraine is unimpressed with the film's content and RJ's attempt to make it seem like a serious cinematic piece, which might have been the most entertaining thing about this movie, by the way. Uh, The group arrives at the farm of Howard and Pearl, an elderly couple in whose guest house the group intends to shoot the film, The Farmer's Daughters. Howard is temperamental toward the group, brandishing a shotgun, while Pearl silently stalks Maxine. As filming commences without Howard's knowledge, Maxine is invited inside the couple's home by Pearl, where they have a conversation. Pearl laments her age, expresses jealousy for Maxine's youth and makes a sexual advance towards her like you do. She later watches Maxine have sex with Jackson and is aroused. Pearl pleads with Howard to have sex with her, but he refuses, claiming his heart is too weak. Um, Age gets the best of us all, my man. Night falls and the film crew relax in their farmhouse. The rain keen to shed her reputation as a prude and intrigued by the film asked to participate in the shoot upsetting rj eventually rj agrees to shoot a scene between lorraine jackson but becomes so furious over her unfaithfulness to him that he attempts to leave all the others sleep however he is stopped by pearl who attempts to seduce him when he rebuffs her she stabs him to death seems fair lorraine and wayne 
notice RJ is missing and goes searching. Wayne is killed with a pitchfork in the barn by Pearl. Lorraine is invited into the couple's house by Howard, who claims Pearl is missing, and asks Lorraine to retrieve a flashlight from the basement. When she does, Lorraine discovers the rotting corpse of a missing man and attempts to flee. Why are there's always a rotting corpse in the house? Like, either bury the body, throw it in the water, burn it. Why are we storing things? It's not canned peas. Just get rid of it already. Jesus Christ. Or eat it. Do something. But don't just leave it there. That's how you get bugs. What I tell my children. Don't leave the dead bodies in your room. That's how we get infestations. However, I don't know. The so I don't know. The Sawyers kind of got the hang of it. It's <laughs> true. Sure. Howard approaches the guest house and asks Jackson to help him locate Pearl. Jackson finds a submerged car in a pond before Howard shoots him dead, revealing himself to be complicit in Pearl's violent tendencies. Tendencies. Meanwhile, Pearl enters the guest house and climbs into Maxine's bed naked. Maxine awakens and screams, like you would, with Bobby Lynn witnessing Pearl fleeing the house. In the farmhouse, Lorraine uses a hatchet to break through a panel in the basement door. But Howard bludgeons her, breaking her finger, forcing her back inside. Bobby Lynn follows Pearl outside to the nearby lake and tries to guide her away from the water. Pearl angrily accuses Bobby Lynn of being a whore, like you would, before pushing her into the lake where she is devoured by an alligator in what is the best kill of this entire movie. Hot dog. (laughs) 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 So good. (laughs) Yar. Maxine sees Pearl and Howard return to the guest house and hides under the bed. The elderly couple discuss the murders before having sex. Maxine manages to flee the va- flee to the van where she finds RJ's corpse and the keys missing. Armed with a pistol from the glove box, Maxine enters the farmhouse and frees Lorraine, who angrily blames Maxine for what has happened. Lorraine panics and runs out the front door, only to be fatally shot by Howard. As Howard and Pearl begin moving the bodies, intent on framing the crew as intruders, a dying Lorraine startles Howard, who has a heart attack and dies. Which is awesome, by the way. Maxine retrieves the keys to the ha- to Howard and Pearl's truck and attempts to shoot Pearl, only to discover her pistol is unloaded. Pearl tries to shoot Maxine, however, she misses. The force from the shotgun blasts her out of the house, and she breaks her hip, like you would, uh, when she lands on the ground. As Pearl lies injured outside, she begs Maxine for help. Maxine, the smart one in this movie, refuses, and as Pearl berates her, Maxine runs her over with a truck, crushing Pearl's head. Dun dun dun. Maxine drives away from the farm. The next morning, the police arrive at the house to retrieve the bodies. It is revealed that Maxine is the daughter of a conservative Christian preacher whose speeches were frequently playing on Pearl and Howard's television. The police discover RJ's camera and speculate about what it contains inside and discovers it's the Blair Witch Project. All right. Um, so this thing is 106 minutes long. And I bring that up because I'm watching this movie and I'm going to let you speak on it first. But I do want to say this before we get too far. I watched watched this movie and I was sitting at my computer and I was doing stuff, but I was paying attention to it. And I was like, this has been on an awfully long time. Nobody's died yet. There hasn't even been a threat, not a scare, not nothing, not a creak in the wood, n- n- not, not a howl in the night, nothing. You know what? Nothing. I didn't even mind. We were an hour into this movie and we were still just watching a boring, a boring porno shoot. And I'm not complaining. I'm just boring? like, Boring porno shoot is what I said. I did not say the movie was boring. Not the feature we were watching was not boring. I'm saying, like, I'm watching these people shoot this porn, and it's not particularly interesting. I was gonna say we may diff, we may end up differing on this one. No, no, it's a fine. It's a, I don't have a lot of complaints about this movie, but I, I did want to mm. cite because when you think about traditional uh, screenplay structure, especially for horror, somebody's got to die in that first ten minutes. 
we you know usually it's in the first scene of the movie you know it's kind of like ghostbusters you get your first scare out of the way right it's the it's the uh you know the guy the, the librarian and then the, you know she sees the ghost off screen and she freaks out right um <clears throat> all of our favorite horror movies there's, there's something right at the beginning that hooks you and then we're it's daytime and we're in the high school and we meet our leads that sort of thing here we spend a lot of time just sort of setting up the setting uh giving you the players kind of creating all of this sort of hitchcocky intention and we don't even get to the first kill until after an hour of the film has passed by i only cite that as <clears throat> it is very very different from traditional screenplay structure so i'll let you go ahead and take over the review okay so first off might i say this feels more like a spiritually apropos Texas Chainsaw Massacre sequel or remake than the last Texas Chainsaw Massacre sequel. Which we talked about, and that review is in the archives. Uh, seriously. Well ser well done. Well done. <laughs> Toby Hooper would... No, Toby Hooper would be absolutely proud, pleased as mm -hmm. punch. By the look and by the look and feel of this movie, and I would also cite that because, as another example, his the first movie anyway, of another one where it takes a little while for the body count to really start mm -hmm. piling up proper. Yeah, I, I might add, just just saying. But uh, first of all, I gotta say this. I could just gush about how fantastic looking this mm -hmm. movie is because again, it has, it has the feel of OG Texas Chainsaw Massacre where and it's, it's appropriate that RJ kind of gets that little mini screed of his about how what's going to set his porno that he's going to shoot apart from all the other ones is that it's going to be artful. It's going to be intentional. It's yeah, going to me, have cinematography. Let me jump in there and say I was getting Maggie Gyllenhaal vibes from the deuce. Like, why does why does pornographic have to be male-oriented? Why can't we have feminist porno? And that's like her whole thing in, in, in the deuce, right? Uh, if you've ever watched it. And I have definitely, over the years, there has been people who, like, why does pornography have to be the basis thing ever? Why can't we do something artsy with it? Um, I don't know if you've ever watched the story of O, but the story of O is fairly traditional BDSM porno. It's uh, adapted from the original novel that is risque, and I think it's like one of the banned books. Um, it's, it's available for purchase. I got it for my wife for Christmas. But the uh, the the, the movie obviously there's no way to not do it as anything but porno. But it's not like the like the traditional here comes the pizza man, you know, kind of a thing. It's um. You know, they're telling this story about uh, this woman engaged in this BDSM uh, non-consensual slavery lifestyle, and it's it's a it's an actual story. It just happens to have scenes of BDSM and uh, sex in them, mm -hmm. but it's <clears throat> but it is as artfully as one can do such things in the time that it was done. So well, I, I did I enjoy mean... the notion of why does porno have to be you know, why does porno have to be this very one-dimensional thing? And like, why can't we do some stuff with it? I like that idea. No, I mean, that's 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 fair. And granted, this movie is set mm -hmm. in 1979. Right. But 
that's I think much more of a consideration nowadays because people have been a little bit spoiled by um, certain prestige TV dramas mm-hmm. like True Blood, uh, mm-hmm. Outlander. Um, God, I had some I had something else in mind just a second ago. It's, it's escaping me now. Uh, to to a certain other extent, laugh at me if you will. Uh, Game of Thrones mm-hmm. um, shows where yes, there's hot torrid sex, but it's also wrapped in an engaging story, and also the sex is phenomenally well shot. Yeah. It's actually enjoyable to watch and not just kind of in a in the way of a ribald lewd gaze mm-hmm. as you would as you would normally think of it. Um oh the Borgias. That was the other okay. one I was I was I knew there was a fourth one. Oh um, gosh. Uh what was the name of the show on Hulu that was about like the 18th century French prostitutes? Uh Harlots. Harlots, yes, that was another good one. Yes, yes. Oh, yeah, another great example. Uh, But the reason I point that out is because here in what would egregiously be misclassified as just another slasher movie, we've got some match cuts Mm -hmm. that are are used to kind of weave a little bit more of kind of an intricate parallel narrative Mm -hmm. in some scenes. when Maxine is going for a little dip in the old swimming hole, we get that overhead shot of her swimming back to the dock being pursued by the, by the gator. And it's like something right out of a Dario Argento movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it really is a, a gorgeous film in places to look at. And it's and it's built well. There's narrative around it. And I love the fact that it's a sexy movie about sex, about porn, but rarely is it ever crass. Mm-hmm. And there's actually a bit of musing kind of on the on the on the progression of human sexuality as we age from several different perspectives. Yeah. One of the things I like about this movie, I want to piggyback on that. We can, we can, we can have yeah, a back and forth on this a little bit. Yeah. One of the things I like about X is that it's, it, it, <clears throat> it identifies itself as a slasher, but it becomes mm-hmm. secondary to the, to the internal debate among the nature of pornography. And I was thinking about like Pam and Tommy, as I watched this uh, discussion that mm-hmm. Alexis and Jesse and I had, about the nature of sex and women owning their sex. And there's this whole conversation that takes place within the movie about who is okay to do porn and who isn't and what that entails. And Jenny Ortega, Jen, Jenna Ortega has a really great, I'm probably going to massacre this line, but she, she talks about like, well, if it's okay for them to do it, why isn't it okay for me to do it? I'm curious. I'm consenting. I am an yeah. adult woman. Why yeah. am I not allowed to do this? And then there's, and then there's the director who, when he was directing other people, was perfectly fine with it. He was he was here to make a porn. He had people to do that, and he was going to do mm-hmm. it. But when she wants to do it, he gets possessive of her. Mm-hmm. You know, it's and and I do enjoy the fact that the film plays with the idea of 
ownership in in relationships you know well hang on it's okay for everybody else to be whores but i'm not not the girl i'm with as if the girl has no say in what she does with her own body and that is the internal debate going on in the first hour of this movie before the killing starts mm -hmm. but i also like because the movie does deal with um and i said it sort of you know being tongue-in-cheek and flip before but it really does there's an element which was surprising in a movie like this that uh virilness youth you know runs away from us all over time ah. you know middle-aged men and women dealing with changes in their body your, your mind still kind of stays the same you're still a sexual being you still have desire you still have need but your body is utterly uncooperative yeah. You know, well, well, yeah, and, and that's, what, do you and that's do what about I mean, that, and that's what I mean by kind of examining mm -hmm. the the evolution of human sexuality, mm -hmm. you know, as we as we age from different perspectives, and that is that for one thing, the women in this movie, all of them in their own ways, are not treated strictly as objects solely of sexual gratification mm -hmm. um the point it's trying to make is that inside every woman every man as well but every woman especially is a sexual creature for whom that is a light that it's crucial to never allow to go out and so often in generations past, slasher movies just depicted women as sim as simply, as I said, they're they well, just objects and engines for regret. Engines well, for not only that, but sex was a sin for which you should be punished by a monster. Well, yeah, exactly. But here, kind of the way that the elderly couple treats the younger characters as sinful is in that they're seen as despite the fact that they're clearly celebrating their sexual mm -hmm. liberation and their freedom and the joie de vivre of their of their youth they're also seen as taking it for granted yes they're, that is they're, actually a seen, really good point that they're seen as neglecting mm -hmm. what this couple would desperately Mm -hmm. give or take away from anyone else anything in this world to have back for themselves and that's why i love that sequence where you've got the juxtaposition i'll just call it the lemonade scene mm -hmm. where in the one sequence you've got all of the playful dramatic erotic energy mm -hmm. of the set of the setup for the porn scene that's being shot but in the other, you've got the older woman and Maxine, and I forgive me, I'm blanking on the older woman's name. I put in an eleven hour day. <laughs> uh, so if I if I space a little bit, please forgive me. And she's kind of looking both enviously and bitterly at Maxine and seeing, everything that she that she once was everything that she now longs for and cannot have because she is deprived of so uh, to answer your question one... it's mia goth and she plays both maxine minx and pearl 
which I'm now just realizing oh, yeah. that. Wow, oh. what a makeup job on her. Oh, Yikes. holy shit. Yeah, right? Like, it just dawns on you. Like, you with, wait, that same lady? Shit. What an accomplishment, by the way. Amazing. We were talking, hey, re real quick. Let me let me get this out. We were talking, yeah. uh, Evan Bevins and I were talking about Oscar Isaac's performance as uh, Mark Spector and Stephen Grant in Moon Knight. Mm -hmm. And not mm -hmm. since, uh, I had made the comment that not since Andy Serkis in The Lord of the Rings as, as Gollum have I seen somebody act so well against himself. Um, I take it back that they were outdone here by Maxine Goth as Maxine Minx and Pearl. Wow. It's close, but yeah, yeah I got, I, I got to give it, I got to give it to Maxine and Pearl here. <laughs> but as I was saying, um, so, and again, gorgeously edited match cuts, just flawless as the scene progresses along and it conveys so much development and so much just both subtext and just text text that we can that we can take away here and it leaves you feeling no small degree of immediate sympathy yeah for who we can just tell is going to be one of our one of our monsters one of our can, killer can can we address that for a second? You think about the great yeah, horror monsters throughout, you know, throughout uh, the years of movie making. You think about mm. your Jasons and your Michaels and your Freddies. Um, you think about your uh, what's his nuts and, and Saw Jigsaw. Um, Jigsaw. Yeah, these are not sympathetic characters. In fact, that that's no. a major. Not that I want to trigger you on this again, because because over the years I've heard you tell the story multiple times. Um, but the they made they tried to make Freddy sympathetic. You know, in the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, which, you know, get your dander up every time it gets brought up. Um, and I think in some other remakes, too, I think the uh, I haven't seen it yet, but I've been told the Rob Zombie Halloweens, you know, you're, you're they're trying to give you a side of Michael that isn't really necessary, mm -hmm. trying to make him a sympathetic character. Mm -hmm. And we everyone kind of bitches and complains like we don't want our horror monsters to be sympathetic. We don't want to relate to these people. We want them to be the ultimate evil. They, we, we want them and so where I'm going with this is the interesting thing that that X does is it does it does make you feel somewhat sympathetic for Howard and Pearl, mm. but for very human reasons. You are sad mm -hmm. to see these two elder people in the twilight of their years just kind of grasping for the things that make us fully developed human beings, which includes mm -hmm. sex. <clears throat> include you know being viewed as a as a sexual person not sexualized let's be clear mm -hmm. being viewed as a sexual person someone you know capable of of fulfilling desire and mm -hmm. that the loss of the mourning of that the loss of that and having to go through mm -hmm. life as somebody seen I mean, it's an interesting thing that happens in society how we devalue people you mm -hmm. know when you have no when you can no longer provide uh desire for people when you are no longer uh cape there's nothing that any mm. that anyone sees in you that's valuable how utterly dismissed you are like you're, you're not seen as people you're you're pushed aside you're brushed over and right. i would tell you that if we had like a panel of elderly people who could speak intelligently to this and kind of connect with their feelings on it they would say yeah i'm sure as an elderly person you are not seen you you know yeah. when you when you lose those yeah. things and like and when you're that person how much like that can depress you, how much that affects you, how much it right. makes you, and this is the point, how much it makes you resentful of others. And exactly. without, pro exactly. without a proper, without a proper stopgap, 
that resentment turns to what happens in this movie, well, which is they get violent. Well, yeah, exactly. And that's kind of what happens here is first off in Pearl's case, you see that not being able to receive love in the mm -hmm. one way that she's craving and right. in the one in the one form that she is being so cruelly deprived of, although through no fault of her or her husband's own, mm -hmm. it has like I said, it's it's just it's it's hollowed her it's hollowed her out. Mm -hmm. It's withered her humanity to where that is the one thing left that she's truly craving. And when it comes to her husband, it's clear that he's heartbroken. Right. That for as much as he loves her, that's that one crucial expression of it so much that's of... beyond it's that's beyond his means and look i'll as i have as i have before i'll i'll open right up here um there was a time when my mental health was at its was at its worst when i was when i was just in my mid in my mid 30s and i have always had a more than healthy love of love of sex it, it has always been important to me but I, I had just kind of hit such a mental and emotional low that in part because of a very negative, toxic relationship that I'd been in for a long, for a long time prior to this, um, that my struggles to get over that absolutely kind of sabotaged an otherwise happy relationship that I was in. It was something that I had to work through, thankfully, with considerable patience and tender understanding on Anne's part in my current relation relationship to where we could get past that and have the kind of extremely happy, fulfilling sex life that we have. Um, so that absolutely connected with me. I want to throw this a very, okay. I want on to, a very huge. Oh, sorry, I'm yeah. sorry. We're stepping on each other. Yeah, you know, no, it's fine. I, I, well, I want to. One, we we're we're getting into forty minutes, so we got to move this on. Um, yeah, but I sure. wanted to say this: so much of what can and most likely does define most men is that ability to provide uh, mm. sexual intimacy to their partners, mm. and when 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 that goes, there's that struggle mentally for her husband, her husband of, felt her husband felt dehumanized by right. the fact you feel you feel emasculated dehumanized yeah. you know and i think this is something that anyone listening to this podcast over the age of i don't know 35 can relate mm -hmm. to is you know yeah you 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 have a woman who is who can't who can't enjoy that which mm -hmm. makes her feel like a whole fulfilled woman and you have a man who feels like not like not even a man, right? So, so let's we let's spend just a few minutes just talking about the horror elements of this because then we got to move on to Red Rocket mm -hmm. because sure. now we now we've set this up. And anyone listening to this podcast is like, does do they ever get to killing? Yes, it just takes a while. <laughs> and and good movies, good good horror talks about something, talks about the nature of men or some facet of that, and then mm -hmm. kills a bunch of people in the process. And mm -hmm. that's the best horror, in my opinion. And so that's what makes X so good. But I do want to, and I want to, and I'll throw it back to you for this because 
I have a couple of comments here and I'll make them and then I'll kind of give you last word just wrapping up the horror piece of this. The kills in this are subtle. The kills in this movie, except for the alligator, which is just fucking hilarious. The kills in this, (laughs) the kills in this movie are so like not Mm -hmm. traditional horror because no one's trying to outdo malignant. No one's trying to outdo like the last horror movie that went ape sh- bat- batshit crazy because what has developed in horror is kind of like what happens in like pro wrestling and stuff. Whereas, you know, you can't just end the match anymore with a DDT, the old Jake Roberts no. special, just slapping no. a head in there, boom, and you're done. And he's out cold. Now, if you hit, mm-hmm. you know, 57 Canadian destroyers off of a, off the roof into an ordinary drinking glass, observe, you kick out a two. Um, and so, the point being there is that all horror tries to outdo the last picture with the kills being absurd to where it was nice to see a guy just get stabbed in the neck. And then, and and actually stabbing him repeatedly after that, it isn't even so much gory as it is. You can, if you're paying any kind of close attention, this woman is just like hate fucking this guy with a knife. It's awesome. (laughs) You, You, yeah, but that's the thing you just hit on it. Mm-hmm. Is the fact that these kills aren't sadistic, right? That the, there's there's no bothering with being creative. There's no flourish. Mm-hmm. There's no witty. There's no witty one liner. These kills are as they should be, given the dynamics we've established. They are angry. Yeah, they are vengeful. They're crimes they are of passion just, almost. Yeah, exactly. They are just flat. They are just flat. Not even I want you to suffer. Just Mm -hmm. I want you dead because you have forsaken, squandered, taken for granted everything that I desperately want as a human being, but that Mm -hmm. I can't have. Um. I'm just looking at, I don't have Rotten Tomatoes or anything, uh, but the reception, critical response on Rotten Tomatoes, I'm going to read part of this from the um, from the wiki. The film has a 96% uh, based on 192 reviews with an average of 7.8 uh, from 10. The website's critical consensus reads, a fresh spin on the classic slasher formula. X marks the spot where Ty West gets resoundingly back to his horror roots. A Metacritic, which uses a weighted average, the film is a 79 out of 100 on 32 critics, indicating generally favorable reviews. Audience Audiences polled by post-track gave the film a 68 positive score, with 45 saying they would definitely recommend it. And I think that's interesting, and this is the last thing I'll say on this. Uh, you can respond, and then we'll move on. So we are here talking glowingly about it, but you and I study film. You In the, in the wide breadth of our decades-long friendship, the thing that connected us, at, at least at the beginning, was our, you know we both not just pa- casually, passively watched film, but we really studied it to the point where we started a podcast and did deep dives into film craft. Mm-hmm. And you and I are talking glowingly about this movie. Um, mm-hmm. It's not quite like damn you Hollywood level where we're like, here's all the things, but like, you know, we're having a general 40 minute discussion now about what makes this movie great and better than most, most modern horror. Mm-hmm. I can see why this isn't resonating with people because I think this is a film critics movie. I don't know if this yeah. is a casual audience movie. For one, you're dealing with like a taboo subject in porn. So all, so automatically you're like losing people. Like, I don't want to watch a movie that's about a porn shoot. Um, but I think then the next thing is, while you and I are appreciating the subtlety of a simple kill by a person in, mm-hmm. enraged and impassioned by the mourning of their sex, their loss of sex, mm-hmm. 
I don't know how many people want that. People want malignant. You know, some chick bending over backwards, cutting people to cutting people to bits. Mm. <laughs> you know, they they want. It. So I'm just wondering if 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 you gathered up, you know, a panel of people and like you know, show them malignant, show them X, and they're like which one did you prefer? If that's if they go malignant, but because the kills were better, and I'm I'm here for the death. I'll give you the final word on X, and we'll move on. I think it would depend because horror caters to a lot of interests, and that's because horror caters to a broad swath of playing on a lot of ingrained uh, psychological fears, insecurities, uncertainties, mm -hmm. triggers, things like that. Um, it's obviously more often than anybody probably realizes going to be rife with some degree of social commentary uh, to a degree that when, when people complain about horror being too woke or or political or or what have you it's the same as people to me it's the same as people complaining about when did star trek get so woke when did star <laughs> trek become so become so political uh since about mid-1960s bubba um, but I think that, I think your reception to it would depend on what the preferences were of those people, because yeah, yeah if you want to, if you want to watch spectacle horror, mm -hmm. you watch Friday the 13th, sure. you watch, you watch Malignant, you watch the Nightmare on Elm Street sequels, maybe, maybe even skipping the original, um, but if you want to watch horror that's very carefully constructed and meant to make you uneasy in ways that maybe you can't necessarily put your finger on until someone else points them out, you watch a movie like X because it, it might it might subvert your expectations and you might be disappointed how it subverts them because you hear it set on a porn shoot and you think that it's just going to be a Friday the 13th sequel with the volume cranked up to a cranked up to 11 and and here you end up getting this really methodical psychological thoughtful dare I say almost downright artsy Slasher movie, a slasher movie. That plays it is a, it is a tacit example of what can be done with the horror so. genre when you have careful hands. Oh, absolutely, certainly. Red Rocket uh, yeah. is a twenty. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, Sean didn't do the homework. <laughs> I um, fucked up. I fucked. Yeah, <laughs> I, I only um, knew I, about this six months ago. It's fine. I had. <laughs> come on, I have been. I I have had a dentist appointment. I have had a class reunion coming up. I've got a teenager getting ready to move in with me, and I got a full time job. I'm doing my heckin' best, Fred. Um, no, I meant to watch all three movies today while I was working. I was thinking, mm -hmm. hey, you know what? I got an 11-hour day ahead of me. This is good. I will have time to get through everything. Only problem was I misremembered what the running times were. So by the time I actually started the movies, I had to message Mark and say, eh, bad news, friend. I'm going to have time to get through Boogie Nights and X. And if I'm feeling saucy, maybe about half of Red Rocket. In defense of Sean's position here, Boogie Nights is 12 hours long. Um, oh, so fucking <laughs> too long. <laughs> All right. So Red Rocket is a 20. So uh, we're, this is going to be like really, really quick because we can't have a discussion on it. I'm the only one that saw it. I have a couple of things to say, uh, mm. but we won't spend too, too long. This is another A24, by the way. So, you know, 
for, for, I'm just going to say this. For those of you who listen to this podcast and were like, I would just like to see something besides a Marvel movie, just go look at A24, see whatever they've watched, and watch everything. Watch Zola. Watch Lamb. Watch watch Red Rocket. Watch also, also Blumhouse. A24 sure. and Blumhouse. Yeah, I, they, they, right now, <laughs> they're, the, they're the studios to beat for something that isn't a stupid mm-hmm. Marvel movie. Um, Red Rocket is a 2021 American dark comedy drama directed by Sean Baker. Who is Sean Baker? Sean Baker is an American film director, cinematographer, producer, screenwriter, and editor. He is best known for his independent feature film, Starlet, Tangerine, The Florida Project, and now Red Rocket. Um, He has involvement in the Fox IFC puppet sitcom, Greg the Bunny. Uh, Baker has received some several film critic awards, such as Filmmaker on the Edge Award, and nominations for six Independent Spirit Awards, winning one in 2012. Uh, what did he win? What did he win for? Uh, I knew that name was familiar to me. So, okay. I um, love Greg the Bunny. Uh, so, yeah, he won an Independent Sp- uh, Spirit Award for Starlet. Uh, okay, that would be that one. Um he won for the Florida Project. He won Detroit Film Critics Society Director of the Year, Best Director for the New York Film Critics Circle, and London Film Critics Circle uh, Director of the Year. So, and then for Red Rocket, it was nominated for the Detroit Film Critics Society Best Director, Gotham Awards Best Screenplay, and Chicago Film Critics Association Best Original Screenplay. So that's Sean Baker. Um, and a screenplay <coughs> co-written by Chris Burgotch. It stars Simon Rex, Brie Elrod, and Susanna Sun. The plot follows a porn star, Rex, who returns to his hometown and begins a relationship with an adolescent girl. Uh, the film premiered at the Cannes Film Festival in competition for the Palme d'Or on July 14, 2021. It was released in limited theaters on December 10, 2021 by A24. It received praise for its direction in Rex's performance and received a variety of awards and nominations. The National Board of Review, Jason Teasley, the hoidiest of hoity, listed it among the top 10 films of the year. Not uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. Sorry. Um, I have a tick now. Rex also won Best Actor Awards from the Los Angeles Film Critics Association and the Independent Spirit Awards. The plot is as follows. After a 17-year absence, Mikey Saber returns to Texas, his Gulf Coast hometown. Badly bruised and destitute, Mikey arrives at the modest home shared by Lexi, his estranged wife, and her mother, Lil. Mikey begs Lexi and Lil to let him stay at their house. They reluctantly agree, but insist that he get a job and perform household chores. Mikey tries to find work at a diner and a Dollar General, but is hindered by a long gap in his resume. After Mikey admits to potential employers that he spent those years working as a porn star in Los Angeles, they refuse to hire him. Desperate, Mikey persuades Leandria, a marijuana dealer, to give him his old job back selling marijuana. Uh, See, this is why people do drugs. They can't get real jobs, see? Leandria and her daughter, June, suspect that Mikey will smoke it himself, but after he returns with his earnings, their business arrangement continues. Mikey gives Lexi and Lil a month's rent in advance and takes them to a donut shop to celebrate. Mikey is smitten with strawberry, strawberries, the name of Maho. Sorry, I suddenly got possessed by the ghost of EZE. A 17-year-old girl who works at the counter. He returns and persuades her to let him sell marijuana to the construction workers who frequent the shop. Strawberry and Mikey soon start a sexual relationship like you do. Uh, after sleeping on the couch for several nights, Mikey starts having sex with Lexi. Eventually, she invites him to share the bedroom. When Mikey disappears for a weekend with Strawberry, Lexi grows suspicious. They quarrel, and Lexi hurls a coffee pot at Mikey. Uh, Mikey befriends Lexi's neighbor, Lonnie, who is intrigued by Mikey's stories about his porn career and sexual encounters. 
They visit a strip club and spend time together, but Mikey's impulsiveness causes Lonnie to swerve across traffic at a highway off-ramp, creating a multiple vehicle collision. After Mikey persuades Lonnie to hide his involvement in the accident, Lonnie assumes sole responsibility for the crash when he is arrested. When Mikey causes Strawberry to break up with Nash, her high school boyfriend, Nash and his parents confront Mikey in the donut shop parking lot and beat him. Mikey persuades Strawberry to travel with him to Los Angeles to pursue a career in pornography. Mikey informs Lexi that he is leaving the next morning, and she and Lil convince Leandre to send June and her brothers to seize the 3000 that Mikey earned from selling pot. When Leandre's children confront him while he is sleeping, Mikey sneaks out a window naked, like you do, and runs to Leandre's house to beg her to return his money. Leandre gives Mikey $200 and tells him to leave or face the threat of violence. Humiliated, Mikey leaves with a few meager possessions. After traveling all night on foot to Strawberry's house, Mikey imagines seeing her dressed in a bikini in the doorway, and his eyes wells with tears. Okay, uh, I want to read this real quick. Bakey, Baker has devoted his career to telling stories that remove the stigma and normalize lifestyles of sex workers through film. Baker stated that in Red Rocket, he wanted to pay homage to the Italian eroticism and sexploitation films by directors from the 1970s like Fernando de Leo, Umberto Lenzi. He was also inspired by Steven Spielberg's The Sugarland Express for the outdoor scenes. Sean? <laughs> I, I don't know what to say about this movie. It, um, it's one of those weird talky slice of life. You're following this guy and you're not, he's the star, but you're not sure whether to root for him because he's kind of shitty. And I was thinking, I was thinking as I watched this movie and I watched it like in the middle of the night when I couldn't sleep, uh, Friday into Saturday, Mm. I'm watching this and I found myself asking several times, what is the point of all of this? What are we doing here? It there is a bit of independent filmmaking where you you get a clear, distinct vision from the director and the writer, often the mm. same person. And you're like, I hear what I hear the you watch their film and you go, I hear the words that you're saying. <clears throat> they are in fact English words that I do understand, but I don't know what mm. you're trying to say. I really like it's not a bad movie per se i feel like we've i feel like we've said essentially that about a lot of the independent movies we reviewed, <laughs> especially the especially some of the weirder ones you've thrown yeah. out there for on trial yeah i that that's a brilliant point sean there there is this like streak of independent films where it's like it's like the guy on the street corner just screaming about something and like i appreciate that you're passionate about this but i don't know what the hell you're talking about and you're doing it in such a way that i'm not getting Whatever message you're trying to get across is not conveyed very well. You're not taking me with you. You're not convincing me of something. It's like, it's like whenever my dad argues with me. And it's like, mm-hmm. you're making a valid point, I assume, but you're such a dick about it that I don't want to listen to you. And he was like, no, but yeah. the message is the thing. And I'm like, no, you're being a dick is the problem. Well, <laughs> and that's that's kind of where a lot of independent cinema really loses me, is the fact mm-hmm. that a lot of it isn't very much fucking fun to watch <laughs> yeah like uh, simon i'm trying to have the name right uh simon rex simon rex simon rex is great he you know former he, mtv vj simon rex he's given this character and it's like okay be shitty <laughs> be an ex-porn guy down on his luck and be an agent of chaos that sort of just <laughs> this reminded of ozark like, don't get involved with the birds. They'll ruin your life, and someone will inevitably end up dead. Um, you know, and that's, and, like, he comes back to town, and it's not like anybody's living their good life here. Everyone's kind of living a shit life. 
and you think like how much worse could this possibly get and then this guy shows up and it does get worse and i'm like okay he's porn bojack horseman (laughs) yes that's that's really good actually um I, I don't want to spend. I, I don't want to spend too long about this because it's not because you can't really contribute <laughs> to the the craft of it. It's. I love as much as I love independent movies because it, they're generally conversation starters. Um, they are, they yeah. they are pointing to things very very directly, very specifically, and it, you know, and it it often <laughs> invokes a lot of emotions, a lot of feelings, and the, even bad ones are good you know, in that sense is that they are contributing to a conversation out there in the world other than I like that I was entertained for 20, you know, for two hours, um, which a lot of movies tend to be these days. <clears throat> On the other hand, I sometimes struggle with this stuff because it's like, I, 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 film should be a more collaborative process. And when you've got like written, directed, edited, gaffed, you know, <laughs> um, catered by the same guy no one's saying no to them it's their passion project this was he he had something he needed to say he said it with red rocket he got awards for it i'm sure he's at home going like i'm just awesome i made a thing and that's what a beautiful painting i painted and then there's these two assholes on a podcast going you fucking lost your audience man i don't know what you're like yes the hoidiest of toity film critics gave you high praise and lots of prizes but like Real people don't see this movie and get anything oh, from it. I feel look like. when it when it comes to kind of one man band directors, mm-hmm. sometimes you get Robert Rodriguez, sometimes you get Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> it's not quite that bad. <clears throat> um, so I'm going to read the critical response here, and then we'll we can kick this around for a minute or two, and then we'll move on. Uh, on the review aggregator website, it's got an 89% of 156 critics, uh, which are positive with an average of eight to 10. So again, this is a critics movie. This is a movie. This is for the critics that are like, if I have to watch one more fucking Marvel or Star Wars movie, I'm going to shoot myself in the fucking face. This is a movie for those people. The website's mm-hmm. consensus reads led by Simon Rex's magnetic performance. Red Rocket is another vibrant ground level. Look at <clears throat> modern American life from director, co-writer Sean Baker. <laughs> Uh, Metacritic, Metacritic, which uses a weighted average assigned to the film's uh, scored at a 76 out of 100, uh, indicating generally favorable reviews. Todd McCarthy writes of Red Rocket that even before much happens, the sense of a very specific location and cultural mindset is very intense. He both praises Baker and Lee Simon Rex for their tremendous energy, which I agree with, and says the film feels as creatively pure as a novel by a kid just out of college. Yeah, like you ever hear people talk about, I'm going to write the great American novel? Like you remember, like read, you know, when you were reading the great American novels in your English classes in high school, like like Hemingway, yeah, something along, you know, you know Gatsby, mm. uh, that kind of thing. Oh God, I hated the Great Gatsby. Who doesn't? Um, but oh, there, there was there, but there was that six month, maybe even a little bit longer than that period, many moons ago, when the Leonardo DiCaprio mm-hmm. starring yeah. sure. remake of it came of it came out and all of a sudden this book that I absolutely hated reading in my AP English class junior mm-hmm. year of high school was now all anybody could positively fap over. Well, Boz Lerman will do that to you. Um, I'm just like, what the, f- did I miss something? This this comes across as almost Steinbeckian. You know, th- this oh. has like a grapes of oh. wrath feel to it, you know, or of mice and men. 
where it's just like, here we are in the American Dust Bowl, and we are getting a sense of what the dirt feels like. You know, like, all right. <laughs> I guess, sure. Um, oh, boy, it's one of those movies. Yeah, buddy. Um, what, 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 one of those where you watch it, you're affected, you're affected by it. You might even respect it and be able to admit that you enjoyed it, but you will never again feel an urge to rewatch it. Yeah, perfect. Matt Zoller cites of RogerEbert.com, on the other hand, calls the film a 130-minute film rambling in particular, describing the middle <laughs> section wherein Mikey ensnares the freckle-faced 70-year-old donut shop employee, Strawberry, scheming their escape to Los Angeles so that he can lead her to the adult film stardom as one note and repetitious. Uh-huh. Agreed. <laughs> David See, Rooney of the it's funny, it's funny though you mentioned that it came from RogerEbert.com mm -hmm. because occasionally a movie comes along because Ebert's opinions were not always predictable. Or Siskel's, for that matter. It makes me wonder what Ebert would think of a movie of a movie like this because I, I, I can't tell if it's one that he would have been positively infatuated with. Because on the other hand, this guy was partially responsible for Beyond the I think it was Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Mm -hmm. That the was that the one that he that he that he birthed into the world. Um. And yet, he had so many other very strong opinions about so many so many movies that just made you go, huh, that was not what I expected you to think. Some reactions to the film have stirred a debate about sexual morality in the film in, in the post-Me Too era. Sites of RogerEbert.com concludes that Red Rocket is the least of, of the list of Baker Burgox's impressive library of realistic movies about the Rainbow Coalition of America's underclass. Going on to question moments in the sexually graphic Red Rocket, where if the filmmakers aren't exactly endorsing their protagonist's middle age, borderline <laughs> pedo pimp obsession with Strawberry, they're not being as rigorous about meditating on it as they should. Brianna Ziegler in Gawker responds, it was both refreshing and exhilarating to watch an anti-hero go that low during a time where it seems like audiences feel obligated to reject bad fictional behavior that isn't explicitly punished. Variety's Clayton Davis said the film's risque subject matter could be a hindrance, but encouraged voters to nominate Rex Baker and Burgock for Academy Awards, uh, which it does not appear they were. <laughs> so, not even close. It was nominated huh. for a bunch of other stuff, but not, not an Academy Award that I can tell. Uh, however, the National Society of Film Critics um, gave Simon Rex a runner-up for Best Actor. So, there's, there's that. Anyway, that's Red Rocket. Um, my personal opinion on the movie, everyone's like, well, what did you think about the movie? Did you like it? It's okay. Um, I, when I saw the trailer for Red Rocket, it was kind of like I had the same reaction to Red Rocket as I had to Licorice Pizza, where I watched the trailer for it and I was like, I'm interested in what you're doing here. I want to see this. I'm fascinated by the subject matter. Then I watched the movie and it's like, do you ever get to a fucking point? <laughs> what are we saying with this? It's, you know, people accuse our podcast of being rambly at times. Watch Red Rocket if you want to see the very definition of rambling. Jesus, Mary and Joseph. Speaking of Jesus, Mary and... <laughs> I got better. <laughs> All right. Boogie Night, speaking of rambling. Oh, Boogie So Night. I got to tell this story real quick. Um, this is the last film that we're going to review tonight, and then we'll, we'll be done here. Uh, we have no hard out anymore. We don't have to be done in an hour, and, and I'm alone tonight, so I don't, got much, I don't got nothing to do. You're my date for the night, Sean. It's me and you, babe. Um, so let's talk about porn. Uh, like you know, <laughs> engage with me. 
So a couple years ago, good friends of the show, Pat Mullen and Jed, uh, I don't know what his last name, could be Casey, could be Lucid, could just be Jed, like Malcolm X. Um, they were all in the casual, I don't think I was there for this. He's, but he's, I've heard he's now Jed X. He's Jed now X, Jed X. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess they were, this is one of the times they restarted the casual heroes and they had Jed and Pat on. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what, how, I don't know how they lost control of the podcast. I don't know what prompted this. But Jed and Pat apparently did like an hour of just Boogie Nights quotes at each other to the point where our group chat that consists of myself, Chris Evans, though he doesn't really participate, Robert, Jesse, who mutes the chat anyway, and myself. And we mostly talk about wrestling and baseball and the occasional movie and Gavin laments that we're no longer living in the 50s. Um, We call the chat Boogie Nights. (laughs) (laughs) And we all have names. I am apparently the colonel. For what that's worth, I and, and look, look, it's not that I haven't told somebody they have a mighty fine penis. I'm not saying that, but I, you know, but how we all landed on I was the colonel, I don't under, quite understand. Any case, my point is, um, I have been vaguely aware of the mov- movie Boogie Nights for a very long time, but I, God is my witness, as much as a film snob as I am, I have not watched Boogie Nights until this past weekend. It was the first time, mm-hmm. and I thought. I thought Boogie Nights would be a much more dynamic, much more uh, fun and interesting and vibrant experience. For a movie about people fucking on camera, this is a slog. And Jesus with a cast Christ. like this. I, like, on the one hand, I can see why this got nominated for all the awards everywhere all the time. On the other hand... Film should be a collaborative process, and someone should have told Paul Anderson what the editing machine was. Like, uh, you know, the purpose of an editor is to kill the director's babies. Like, you've mm. got you to gotta get there so much faster. you got to keep things moving. There are just certain things where it probably is. You have a killer cast here. This is an all-star baseball team you've got going. You still shouldn't spend this long on any of what they spent this long on. It just drags the movie down. And for what? Why? Like, I, this is, I, we, we just talked about this with Red Rocket, but so, I just, sometimes, like, f- films like this just drive me crazy because you absolutely know they gave into every indulgence possible mm-hmm. because this didn't have to be the Avengers. This could just <clears throat> be Paul Thomas Anderson's meditation on the rise of porn. <clears throat> and no one's going to stop him and tell him how to do it. But it, well, it so desperately needed a somewhat an adult in the room to say no and edit this down. Go ahead. You know, I remember when this movie first came out, mm-hmm. it kind of became instantly memeable. Mm-hmm. Sure. I don't know. I don't know about quote about quote worthy. Fuck sure, not to the point where I can understand a bunch of people, a bunch of people, even Pat at all. Um, sitting around tossing around quotes for a fucking hour. Yeah, it drove Chris Evans into the woods um, to live deliberately. We've never seen him again. But it was to the point where I've been curious about it a number of times over the years. Never quite mm-hmm. enough so to actually sit down and watch it. But when you suggested it, I thought, okay, I can cross this one off off the list. I'm actually right. kind of excited about this one because after all, you managed to cram Mark Wahlberg, Burt Reynolds, Don Cheadle. Philip Seymour Hoffman, Julianne Moore, Heather Graham, all into the same movie. Mm -hmm. And what I 
got was boring <laughs> and predictable. Yeah, someone's huge a story about someone's huge cock and the rise through porn shouldn't be this boring. It it wasn't even insightful because you have to remember <laughs> that when this came out, a number of prominent figures legitimately from the 70s porn scene condemned it immediately. Mm-hmm. And one and one thing you one thing you have to say about the adult industry. The sex may be played up, dramatized with all with all the bombast that has become the stuff of caricature. But when it comes to actually telling the tales of what happened behind the scenes and what the lifestyle is like, the dreamers of dreams are not exactly bullshitters when it, <laughs> when, it, when, it when it comes to their stories. Frankly, um, and I'll go ahead and just kind of throw this out there. If you really want to hear some authentic stories of, you know, sex work from that era, just go watch After Porn Ends. Maybe maybe skip the sequels. They were not great, but I legitimately enjoyed and found After Porn Ends to be both entertaining and pretty and pretty insightful. That's just my take. But this... This was like this was like if this was like if 54 hate fucked goodfellas. <laughs> I was thinking what if what if casino but porn and boring. And the like, sad and the sad thing and the sad thing is 54 was better and 54 mm-hmm. was not a good movie. I think the I think the main reason this one got more attention is the fact that Mark Wahlberg is a marginally better actor than Ryan Phillippe. Well, here's the other thing I'll, I'll tell um, you. I think this. I think this has sort of a magic mikeness to it, where it's like, ooh, it's it's the, you know, it's the middle-aged white woman being slightly wine naughty as they run off to the theater to watch the stripper movie. Woo! I think I'd have. I think I'd have more movie. fun watching Magic Mike. Everyone has more fun watching Magic Mike. That's not the point. <laughs> like it was one of those things where it's like, let's go to the theater and watch the naughty movie. And and I think again, like if I remember correctly, Booking Nights did well. Um, yeah, on a fifteen million dollar budget, it made forty. I don't know million how. Because again, here this is the point that I'm trying to make. You can get away with this once in a while. This is this is Daffy Duck blowing himself up with TNT. You can occasionally you can do a big budget endorsed by Hollywood uh, movie about the porn industry or about pornography and people will go see it because it's naughty. It's naughty, Sean. It's, you know, it's like, ooh, I'm going to step out of my safe, middle class, protected, walled up military style home with the white picket mm. fence and the dead dreams. And I'm going to go off to the theater with my partner and we're going to hold hands and watch the naughty movie. I, I think and that it, happens I think it, enough. You know, I think at various points that was that was showgirls and striptease for guys. It was definitely and, striptease. I don't. I don't think anyone saw showgirls. <laughs> but but more but more recently, I would say it's the movies I would put in that class would probably be some combination of Twilight, Fifty Shades of Grey, and yeah. both Magic Mikes. Yeah, I mean, look, the Fifty Shades of Grey's movies are trash. Melissa and I talked about that. 
but people went to see him because again, that wasn't attracting the movie critic crowd. That was the wine soaked middle-aged women that, you know, were hot to Trotsky. Um, all right. So let's talk Boogie Nights here for real evens. Boogie Nights is a 1997 American period drama written by, uh, written, yeah, written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. It's set in Los Angeles, San Fernando Valley, home of the porn. And focusing on a young nightclub dishwasher who becomes a popular star in porn, chronicling his rise in the golden age of porn. Take a drink every time I say porn throughout this review. You'll be blackout drunk by the end. Of the 1970s through his fall during the excesses of the 80s. The film is an expansion of Anderson's mockumentary short, The Dirk, Dirk Diggler Story. Um, stars Mark Wahlberg, Julianne Moore, Burt Reynolds, Don Chino, John C. Riley, William H. Macy, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and Heather Graham. The film premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival on September 11, 1997. It was theatrically released on October 10th, 1997, garnering critical praise. It was also nominated for three Academy Awards, Best Original Screenplay for Anderson, Best Supporting Actress for Moore, Best Supporting Actor for Reynolds. The film soundtrack has also received acclaim. In 1977, high school dropout Eddie Adams is living with his father, an emotionally abusive mother uh, in Torrance, California. He works at a Reseda nightclub owned by Maurice Rodriguez, where he meets film porn maker film porn maker Jack Horner. Interested in bringing Eddie into porn like you would, Jack auditions him by watching him have sex with Roller Girl, a porn solid who always wears skates, and her feet stink. Uh, following a fight with his mother, Adams moves in with Horner at his San Fernando Valley home. Adam gives himself the screen name Dirk Diggler, because alliteration, and becomes a star because of his good looks, youthful charisma, and unusually large penis. His success allows him to buy a new house, an extensive wardrobe, and, and a competition orange 1977 Chevrolet Corvette. With his friend and co-star Reed Rothschild, Dirk pitches a series of successful action-themed porn films. He works and socializes with others from the porn industry, and they live carefree lifestyles in the 70s disco era. While attending a New Year's Eve party at Horner's house making the year marking the year 1980, assistant director Little Bill Thompson discovers his adulterous wife having sex with another man. Bill, tired of being repeatedly cuckolded, Shoots the pair dead and commits suicide, like you do. Dirk and Reed begin using cocaine on a regular basis, because it's the 80s. Due to his drug use, Dirk finds it increasingly difficult to receive an erection. And there's a lesson for us all. Cocaine kills your penis. Falls into violent mood swings and becomes irritated with Johnny Doe, a new leading man Jack has recruited. In 1983, after arguing with Jack, Dirk is fired and takes off with Reed to start a music career along with Scotty, a boom operator who is in love with Dirk. Jack rejects business overtures from Floyd Gondoli, a theater magnate who insists on cutting costs by shooting on videotape because Jack believes that video will diminish the quality of his films. After his friend and financier, Colonel James is incarcerated for causing an underage girl to overdose on cocaine. Along with the possession of child pornography, Jack op cooperates with Gondoli and becomes disillusioned with the projects he expects him to turn churned out. Oh. One of the I'm okay, I'm fine. One of these projects involves Jack and Roller Girl riding in a limousine, searching for random men for her to have sex. Boy, this scene, which went on interminably, while being taped by a crew. After they pick up a man, he recognizes Roller Girl as a former high school classmate. After a failed attempt at intercourse, he insults her and Jack. Both Jack and Roller Girl attack the man, leaving him bloodied on the sidewalk. They, the two drive away from the scene. Leading lady Amber Waves finds herself in a custody battle with her ex-husband. The court determines she is unfit mother due to her involvement in the porn industry. Prior criminal record and cocaine addiction. Buck Swope <clears throat> marries uh, fellow porn star Jesse St. Vincent. 
who becomes pregnant. Because of his past as a pornographer, Buck is disqualified from a bank loan. He cannot open his own stereo equipment store. That night, he finds himself in the middle of a holdup at a donut shop in which the clerk, the robber, and an armed customer are killed. Buck is the sole survivor and escapes with the money. Having wasted their money on drugs, Dirk and Reed cannot pay a recording studio for demo tapes. They believe will enable them to become music stars. Desperate for money, Dirk resorts to prostitution, but is assaulted and robbed by three men. Dirk, Reed, and their friend Todd Parker attempt to scam local drug dealer Rashad Jackson by selling him a half a kilo of baking soda disguised as cocaine. Dirk and Reed want to leave quickly before Rashad's body inspects it, but Todd attempts to steal more drugs and money from Rahad. In the ensuing gunfight, Todd kills Rahad's bodyguard and is killed by Rahad. God, that horrible scene. Mm-hmm. That went on interminably. Uh <clears throat> Dirk and Reed barely escape, and Dirk reconciles with Jack. In 1984, Jesse gives birth to her and Buck's son. Amber shoots a television commercial for, for the opening of Buck's door. Reed performs a magic act at a strip club. Colonel James remains in prison. Maurice opens a nightclub, and Roller Girl takes a GED class. Dirk and Amber prepare to start filming again. All right, Sean, go ahead and give your thoughts. I will be right back. Oh, my God. Jesus Christ. I, I'm not even entirely sure where to begin with my thoughts. Again, everything is predictable at practically every turn. If you've ever seen, again, like I, like I said, a, a big time rise, a big time rise and fall drama. The first two that came to mind when I happened to watch, to watch this were Goodfellas and 54. I don't know why 54 would spring to mind. Uh, again, it's it's not a good movie. Maybe it's the 70s setting, the sex and the coke. That could be it. Um, there are very few actual magnetic performances you can really glom onto as being legitimately entertaining. Uh, Julianne Moore was a treat she was one of the few that i felt actually was really kind of putting in work <laughs> the entire the entire time Cheadle was just kind of lovably dorky i i can't believe i forgot that john c Riley and william h macy how much you left were in this how much you left <laughs> you tell me first i asked you first that might have been one of the lines they were quoting at each other, Jen and yes. Pat, by the way, if I remember correctly. Very possibly. Um, John uh, John C. Riley was oh, was 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 an absolute treat. I will I will throw I will throw him in there. He was he was fun to watch. Um, God, I just. Again, I'm just baffled at how you seemingly have – this is like the movie equivalent to how do the New Jersey Nets keep losing. <laughs> okay. How, how do you put together this much superstar talent and still not knock it out of the park? Mm-hmm. How do you still not go not manage to go all the way with it? Um, I love the fact that now, that now and forever – um, we could refer to Mark Wahlberg as star of Boogie Nights and Father Stew. <laughs> the man has range. No, and, and Mark, don't, I don't. And, and don't forget Transformers: Age of Extinction, one of the highlights of his career. No, no, Mark, you prat. I, I don't I care can... how much. I don't care how ashamed you are of Boogie Nights. You're never getting past that. 
I can see the tumor um, growing in your forehead, by the way. I'm a tumor. I'm a tumor. I'm a tumor. <laughs> I'm a tumor. I'm a tumor. Um, Burt Reynolds was actually so embarrassed by the rough cut that he initially wanted nothing to do with the movie. He was ashamed of it, despite kind of being the De Niro of this mm-hmm. of this movie. As weird as that sounds, he he really, really is. Um, the big drug scene near the end. My God, we got through motoring <laughs> Jesse's girl. We we got through a high schooler's like mixtape. <laughs> Good God! Yes, we we can, practically can we got just to talk a about that scene. EP. Can we just yes, whole, by all means. Can we that that whole fucking scene, man? Like, I think that's about where I lost it with the movie, and it's towards the end, so it doesn't really matter. But like, there's a lot of this movie that is just kind of slow and plotting, and the, the camera's just sitting there, and you're like, you don't need all of this to tell this story. You are providing way more context than this story really needs. And it's again, it's babies you just don't want to kill because you can't not be an excessive filmmaker. You Paul Thomas Anderson, you. And then you get to that scene and I I just had enough because essentially they're there to sell the guy baking soda and, and then steal from him. That's the scene. You need five minutes to do that scene five that scene goes on for an hour and a half it is ridiculous there is a part of this scene where conversation or something is going on and for some reason the camera just (laughs) locks on to marky mark just zoning the the fuck out i don't think he was performing i I think he was legitimately out of it during that scene hand to god mark (laughs) when i was watching that scene i actually had to touch my phone because i thought that maybe (laughs) my connection had glitched i'm not kidding it sounds like i'm doing shtick i'm not kidding i had to actually swipe my screen to make sure that the connection hadn't glitched until you know what like John or the other or the other guy, Speck McGee, um, happened to just kind of peek his head over and it would be like inaudible dialogue. And yeah, it's clearly supposed to be indicating that he's dissociating mm-hmm. I, or, or something, I, I guess. Or God knows with Mark's acting, it's sometimes impossible to tell. Uh, but just it's porn so many, it's so many it's, it's well, the so golden many cuts, so many cuts to the scene to, to rahad just dancing i guess his name is rahad i don't remember i, I can't remember that that actor name. He's, he's another famous character actor but he's like just dancing in his robe by the way everybody in this era of of, of whatever just walked around in um in a bathing suit uh what do you call it speedo just walked around in a speedo yeah. in a, ba- in a mm-hmm. bathrobe mm-hmm. that that, mm-hmm. that came with your starter kit for people with money uh, in that in that time period. Anyway, um, I'm, uh, like, why does no one wear clothing in these movies? And like, not just, porn movies, but like, I'm watching Snowfall, and you have like the Israeli fucking weapons dealer who can't like wear pants either. He's got to wear his speedo and a bathrobe. Um, in any case, like, it's so many cuts to him just dancing, and it goes on and on and on and on. It's like you don't need all of this. The point is, they're at the end of their rope. They. The whole thing with Boogie Nights is 
you sell your soul because you know for fame and fortune and when you're left is a body bereft of any kind of spirit everything has the marrow is sucked dry that that is what paul thomas anderson is telling you about this is that you part at least in my interpretation of what boogie nights is is he's one he's documenting this industry and its rise but i think the message mm. is that you're trading away your soul for a blink in time of fame and fortune. And when you're done, the devil comes to claim his prize and you're left with nothing. And so you're Rock talking star casino, mm -hmm. good fellas, three movies right off the top of my head that do this story better. Right. So, and that's the thing you can, this is took two and a half hours. You don't need two and a half hours. Two no. hours gets this done. No. Two, we don't need a 20-minute scene of Mark Wahlberg and, and, and John C. Riley writing music in a studio. We, and we you know just what? don't. If you want to do a story about the amazing Wild West days of porn, again, I come back to After Porn Ends. Because that's a documentary where you got to hear real-ass stories from real-ass people who lived this real-ass life. And depending on, depending on which era of the porn industry you wanted to mine, they fucking name-dropped John Holmes in the plot of this movie. Although he, he, there was already a movie about John Holmes at one point. Mm -hmm. Um you could have made a movie about Tracy fucking Lords, any number of other stars from this era and their real and their real stories. What actually gets people, even people like Asia Carrera and Ron Jeremy, who are highly edu who are highly educated, legitimately talented people. And instead, they decide to seek their fame and fortune fucking on camera. The real stories were right there. Instead, you wasted goddamn two and a half hours of my life watching Mark Wahlberg, who Ray Liotta has more magnetic charisma in one of his pubic hairs than Marky Mark has in his, has in his entire body or that ridiculous 13-inch prosthetic. <laughs> um, and a host of other legitimately phenomenally talented people who are just doing their level best to try to make this by the numbers rise and rise and fall working class boy makes good story into something epic and frankly my favorite part of the whole damn movie i kid you not don Cheadle in the donut shop <laughs> that's funny I just because I would say like the most poignant part of the movie is also Don Cheadle in the bank. You know, it's like that too. That too. You know, the it, Red Rocket dealt with this too, where it's like mm -hmm. you, you, once you've decided to go into pornography, the world, the world shuts you out. I don't know if it's still mm -hmm. that way. I, I don't, at this point, so many, so many taboos have been broken and so much has been accepted, you know, and, and the, there's this other thing of like, you, you can't, you can't hurt people. <laughs> people will notice and well, you'll, be, you'll the, get in trouble. So I don't the know. I don't that, know right now if you're like if you've been in porn and then decide to go for a small business loan, you'll be denied. I but think I think the, I think the biggest that. things I think the biggest things that have changed nowadays mm -hmm. in porn are number one, due to 
just a conglomeration of factors, largely, you know, probably the biggest one being being the rise of the rise of the Internet. Mm -hmm. um, you have more and more adult entertainers and sex workers who are just more enterprising. They're entrepreneurs. They're independently doing it on doing it on their own. They're not chained to a studio, to a producer. Um, they're, they're not subservient to anyone. Mm -hmm. They have more control over their business. And you have more and more celebrities of various rank and file, you know, female professional wrestlers, first thing that, come, that comes to mind, who are starting things like OnlyFans. And I tell mm -hmm. you right now, I think it's the most brilliant, shrewd move in the world because these women collectively realize, well, fuck, you people are going to perv on us perv on us anyway we're at least gonna make you pay for it sean i don't we're know at least gonna, we're just gonna earn a buck this. off of it do you remember uh, maybe early 2000s um that there was an entire site dedicated to uh nude nude female wrestler pictures there's like all kinds oh of, i remember like, yeah there were sites mm -hmm. just dedicated to pictures of like sunny and sable and there was definitely a lot of heads on wrong mm -hmm. bodies if you'll remember correctly like some oh, some more obvious yeah. than others um mm -hmm. <laughs> Yes, yeah, Tammy Sitch got photoshopped into a lot of stuff she wasn't actually in. Tammy Sitch, Missy Hyatt. Uh, in fact, Missy yeah. Hyatt started her own whole ass website dedicated yep. specifically, specifically to that. She was somewhat infamous for it for a time. Uh, so I did just bring that up because it's like you can go out there and claim it or someone will do it for mm -hmm. you. You know, that's just mm -hmm. the world we live in. But anyway, I want to say this and then we can bring this at least bring this to a close. I think book. I think there's a good movie in Boogie Nights somewhere mm. in the middle if we cut the fat out of this if we kill some of the babies if we tighten this down to about two hours you you get the story told yeah. because the rest of it's solid these are great julianne moore is mm. wonderful in this julianne moore oh, especially yeah. in the scene where she's coked up out of her mind and she's talking mm. about like the kid i was actually mm. the, the the scene where she's fighting for custody of her child and everyone in the room is against her because she's a dirty, filthy pornographer and no one will listen to her. And she might have actually had a valid point to make. You know, she's saying things like, I never brought my son around any of the drugs or any of the sex. None of that stuff. This child was never in danger. And much like Pamela Anderson's deposition in Pam and Tommy, it's like, we've already decided you're guilty because you decided to sell your ass. That's it. It doesn't really matter. And nothing else matters. You as a woman, by the way, we're not doing this to any of the men, only the women. Oh, no, you, of course you decided, no. you decided to sell your ass. You don't get to have custody of your children if someone else wants them. Nothing you say <laughs> matters. Your argument is invalid. And it's like, you know, okay. Well, that, that, and let's, and let, let's, let's keep in mind, in Pam's case, that sex tape was fucking stolen. It certainly was. We, we talked about that. The show made that very yeah. clear. So my, my point is... There's a lot of good stuff in Boogie Nights. There's a lot of stuff that it talks about that I think is good conversation. There's a, there, there are a lot of themes and elements that I think are worthy of viewing and discussion. My biggest criticism, honestly, is the editing and direction on this. And it's not that the performance direction is bad. It's that Paul Thomas Anderson feels the need to like fill time to create, I guess, to create uh some sort of aesthetic that isn't necessary this should be a snappier movie and instead it's so meditative that you lose the people that aren't that are just there for a good time first of all i feel like you're just there to see mark warburg's huge dick you know and that you know and and to see this naughty thing get portrayed in a very general audience way you lose those people because they're bored 
And then you're losing the film people, I think, in many cases. Well, I don't know. This thing got tons of awards, so who the hell knows? But I, I do think that in, in overindulging in the worst peccadillos of filmmaking, you, you lose sight of what was once a really, really good idea captured on celluloid. I'll give you the final word and we'll get out of here. Okay. And, and this was a fairly quick one. Uh, I think I realized what my biggest problem with Boogie Nights is. And that is the fact that for as fascinating as the adult film industry legitimately is, mm-hmm. in the sense that, you know, much like being a, a legitimate, you know, quote unquote, rock star or, or a professional wrestler, it's just a business that attracts people of kind of a different, a different breed. A different mindset and the thing is this movie leans so hard into cliches that it could have spent some time really examining that and bringing and bringing that out it's a movie where the backdrop it could have been every bit as fascinating as the wrestler was mm. um only only about an act of this movie actually takes place during this during the 1970s. The rest of it, you're in the 1980s when the proliferation of VHS really changed really changed the industry and changed how not only distributors but porn stars um, do business. Go, go out sometime and uh, listen to Lisa Ann's interview on the sessions with Renee Paquette. Um, it's pretty it's pretty eye-opening the the hustle that has to take place behind the scenes for for a lot of entertainers and it's nothing new it was certainly a thing back a thing back then you could have you could have constructed something that was eye-opening that was thoughtful that was shorter (laughs) um and that wouldn't be reviled by the people who were actually about that life during that era but instead it was just it's bloated it's forgettable and it's more dull than a movie about fucking should ever be <laughs> it's been put right on the box it's more dull than the movie about fucking should be all right this is the rattle engine broadcasting network i want that on i want that on rotten tomatoes all right folks uh we kicked off the week uh myself and david wright actually prior to this recording we did an on trial for Downton Abbey. We had a really fun discussion about that. David's always a great guest. Tomorrow, Robert and I will be talking the new the remake of Firestarter. The Superblog team up is Wednesday. We are celebrating the anniversary of Image Comics. In doing so, myself and Evan Bevins compared the comic term life to the movie term life currently on Netflix starring Vince Vaughn and Hawkeye star <clears throat> Haley Steinfeld. In the evening, we're taking a break from the Metal Hammer of Doom, and Jesse Starcher and I are continuing our look at the work, great works of David Simon, be, um, moving on to Homicide, Life on the Street, Season 6. And then on Thursday, I've got a double shot. I may not actually watch these shows. I may have to depend on the people that I'm doing this with to tell me what happened, and I will have to fake it. But I scheduled way too much t- television this week. Uh, we've got Upload Season 2. That's myself and Alexis Haina at 10 a.m., and then the evening time at 10 o'clock p.m., it's myself and David Wright watch, uh, re- reviewing Picard Season 2. Please like and subscribe on YouTube. If you happen to have caught this podcast somewhere and you're not subscribed to the W2M Network on your podcatcher of choice, whether it be Apple Music or Spotify or what have you, 
please do so. Please uh, leave us a rating and a comment. Also, if you like what we're doing, even if you don't like what we're doing, tell us we suck. I'm fine with all of that. Um, just that, say something. Why won't anyone say hello to me? No, um, I'm on TikTok at, at Mark Rattledge. You can see my Twitter handle there at Mark Rattledge. Uh, I am all of that information is in the description of this podcast, including my Snapchat, ladies. So, um, so hit me up if you're liking what I'm doing and you're just like, hey, you know, I kind of had some thoughts about what you said. I want to share them with you. I'm happy to hear them. I'm not, I'm, I mean, I am a dick, but not about that stuff. You want to share if you're like, Boogie Nights is amazing. What's wrong with you? I'll have that discussion with you. It's fine. So, you can hit me up on all the socials and all that's listed in my in the description of this podcast. And Sean, he twitches and plays video games. <laughs> yes, uh, you can find me usually Thursday, Friday, and sometimes Wednesday nights at twitch.tv slash Codex. I'm a variety streamer. Lately, I've been playing a whole lot of story-based games. Uh, I will not be around this week because I will be attending my class reunion in Columbia, Missouri. Uh, so you can catch me next week where I will be resuming playing probably either The Messenger or Batman Arkham Asylum. Otherwise, if for one reason or another you just can't get enough of my love, babe, the fuck is wrong with you? Uh, you see my handles on the screen, Twitter, Instagram, at Comer Codex. Um, you can find me gabbing about professional wrestling, music, all of the food porn, DDP yoga, and lately I've been a little keyed up on some socio-political topics. So just be warned. But otherwise, if that all sounds good, sounds good for <laughs> sounds good to you, come on down. All are welcome. All right, folks, thank you for joining us here on Triple Feature. For Sean Comer, you're not. I'm Mark Rattledge. I am. Be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>